It's good to be alive. Let's pray. Spiritually speaking, Lord, we know from Scripture that we are dead in our transgressions, but brought alive in you. Lord, we appeal to you for your grace and mercy. We're thankful for your generous, forgiving love. Help us to know this morning how best to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Picture on the screen. Can anyone tell me where this is? What nationality? Yet yeah, I think I've heard someone. Mexico. They're trying to get into Donald's back garden. And he doesn't like it. He needs to keep such people out. Just thinking about um, other Borders, anyone here been stuck at a border trying to get across? Those of you been to Ukraine know what all that's all about a few years ago. Um, pretty much most of us, for most of the time, we're sort of used to easy access uh, to and fro, this nation. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to wait because we're going on holiday in France at half term. I'm hoping there's not going to be any unnecessary delays. Um, I'd need to be a very good swimmer to circumvent that particular border control. Um, but um, borders are there. Sometimes uh, we cross borders and we don't realize it. I was, um, years ago, um, when I was uh, early years of marriage, we were on a, no children, went on a fertility holiday in Greece, and I made the mistake of crossing a border into Albanian territory, and I thought it was a friendly boat coming in the direction. I was waving to this boat, and as it got closer and closer, they were not waving at me. It was a man with a machine gun. Going to give me a rather unfriendly welcome if I didn't sort of sit down and skedaddle. Um, I don't expect anyone to answer this next question, okay? If you want to say out loud, you can, but... Um, have you ever gate-crashed a party? Oh, there's some very righteous people here. No, you haven't. Yeah, you might have done. Well, you don't have to say, I said you didn't have to say this is your little secret with the Almighty, okay. But um, I've got two stories. It was a very long time ago, and not in my tenure as vicar here, but I once very mistakenly decided, I was visiting my brother up at university, that we ought to visit a party um, in a neighboring hall that we were not invited to. And it did involve climbing a wall and going over a roof. I can't remember if we got kicked out or not, but we should have been. Anyway, and another occasion, um, when I was going out with Alison, and uh, we'd not been going out very long, and you have Christmas with your family, and I decided, she lived in a dodgy part of the country where we were in Kent, was very, very nice, and we had a nice family with my, um, meeting with my family, Christmas lunch, everything. I decided to visit the other end of the country, and gate crashed a party on Christmas morning. No, it was Christmas afternoon, where Alison, with all her family, were there. That was a welcome gate crashing of a party, thankfully. Is this anyone's house on the picture there? 
There's lots of houses like that in gated communities. I'm sorry if I got your house. Uh, we won't tell anyone. But um, sometimes we um, have big, big gates, don't we, and cameras to spot people. And what that gate is telling us is that you're not welcome in here. Please go away and leave us alone. And um, maybe um, it's a little bit like that sometimes with the gospel. Um, I think it was Friday morning, I woke up, I had this notion in my head that I wasn't going to do anything about it. I thought, I can't possibly go to the effort of doing anything like that. And I saw a picture in my mind's eye of some security tape. And uh, I wasn't going to do anything about it, but I thought it would be a rather cool idea, as part of my sermon, to cordon off a section of the congregation. And I came back from wherever I was going to, and there was a section, if anyone's here on Friday, there's a section cordoned off in the car park. Well, that was for safety reasons. I wanted to cordon off a section in church just to make it very clear who is pure and who isn't, who's in the in crowd and who isn't. And all these lot are in the in crowd, and and they love each other, but they're really, really concerned that no one else is allowed in to this little group in here to mess it all up. And um, so, there's, um, so there's the ins and the outs of the religious community, and I'm very, very sorry to disappoint all of you lot over there, but you are most definitely out, and you're not welcome, okay? Uh, because these lot here are very, very righteous and very, very holy, and they just wouldn't want any of you lot coming and spoiling it, Okay? So I'm just going to put this um, barrier around you just for the length of the service. And if you get any trouble from any gate crashes, do let me know. And we've got wardens on hand that we're going to come and sort it out. (laughs) There's all sorts of barriers. You probably need a bit more tape. I don't want to move you out of your seats, but we could have separated the women from the men. And we could have probably separated the super-righteous from the not-so-super-righteous, because I know a few of you are a work in progress. Um, Being invited to a meal um, is mostly a kind and generous... How does it feel being the righteous? Don't answer that. How does it feel being excluded? Um, When we get invited to someone's house, that's a good thing normally... And we would like to, we're just flattered that we'd be invited and share a meal with people. And uh, normally it's relaxed and fun. Simon the Pharisee, uh, in inviting Jesus for table fellowship, um, sets up an informal interview. It's an informal interview venue. Um, They are a self-appointed holiness scrutiny panel. Uh, It's a vetting process for Jesus. Who does Jesus associate with? What does he think or say or do? They're testing his practical theology. When we interview people at Holy Trinity Claygate, we've got lots of specific questions about the role. Um, But there's three things that I think are quite important that we're testing as we go. And it's about competence. Can they do the job? It's about character. And it's also about chemistry. Do we get on? 
I wonder, you've probably all been in job situations or whatever. Every, I think they're quite good principles for anyone that you might want to have on team. Already in Luke's gospel, Jesus has done some extraordinary stuff. Fasting, praying, healing, deliverance, radical teaching. Jesus is highly competent. That's part of the problem. His competence was challenging enough, uh, but then he began pushing boundaries uh, on the spirit of the religious law. Sabbath law, food laws, social interaction laws, question about keeping the wrong company. There were big questions about Jesus' character. Is he deluded? being blasphemous because only God can forgive sins, verse 49. Can his judgment be trusted? What about his shameful associations with the wrong sort, meaning that some labeled him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, verse 34. Given this um, backstory, it's uh, surprising to me that a Pharisee would invite Jesus, verse 36, to table fellowship at his home. Jesus accepts the invitation. Just going back to the previous slide of the gated community, communities weren't organized like that. It was quite easy to get in and out. Jesus accepts the invitation, this vetting process, and turns up to this informal interview, reclines at a table. Um, I think it's a preliminary interview for his trial and his crucifixion. With whom will Jesus have the greatest chemistry? A woman of questionable character gate crashes the party. This woman must have known that it was unacceptable behavior. Her actions were hugely inappropriate in the company of those who strove for holiness. She obviously didn't care. Her need was greater. Yet according to Jesus, she outdoes their host Simon in all areas of hospitality with her extreme care and generous hospitality. Simon had not extended the customary courtesy of hospitality to Jesus. No water for his dirty feet. No kiss to greet and welcome him. No oil or perfume to anoint his head or his feet. Luke 7, 44 to 46. Simon gives the superficial appearance of inclusion, yet we know this was ungracious and mean-spirited because they're trying to catch him out. This woman of sinful renown, verse 39, maybe a prostitute or a slave girl, gate crashes the meal at Simon's house carrying a special, expensive, ointment. She stands behind Jesus. Interesting, she stands behind at his feet, weeping. 
this then becomes a question of wisdom and right judgment. Simon the Pharisee was surprised at Jesus, who should have shown prophetic discernment. How could he let such a woman near him? Simon says to himself, not out loud, if this man, Jesus, was a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Verse 39. Jesus uses his prophetic discernment not to send the woman away, but instead to read Simon's heart and mind and respond accordingly. Verse 40. Jesus then taught Simon a bit about debt, about forgiveness, about gratitude. Verses 41 to 43. From what I read, this does nothing to forge a lasting chemistry between Jesus and Simon. The focus of the story is such that we're all forced to reflect on what the woman has done. In a patriarchal society, this broken, humble woman crosses gender barriers. She breaks social conventions, men and women often separated on these occasions. She breaks physical barriers. Jesus allows himself to be touched and served by a social outcast. Touch, kiss, the letting down and using of her hair to dry his feet. This was an outrage and would have been perceived as inappropriate by their male onlookers and hosts. She demolished, or Jesus did, spiritual barriers. She's known to be sinful, lets her hair down, but opens a heart, a heart won over by God's love and forgiveness, made possible by her faith. I find this image compelling. I imagine she has washed his feet at this point. But it's one of the most humble gestures, maybe, we can do metaphorically, throwing ourselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus and crying out to him for his mercy. Jesus receives her ministry, her worship, and is complicit in barriers being crossed, crashing through the hedge that the Pharisees put around the law with all their rules and regulations. Jesus declared, verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. 
her faith and reverence for Jesus displayed in action results in forgiveness being her reward. We witness some different responses to the person of Jesus. Some of us draw close, maybe even quick to draw close to him. Some of us are a little bit reticent. I was just thinking um, at the earlier service about something called imposter syndrome. Some of us never quite feel good enough to approach Jesus, so we think he's made some sort of mistake calling us. Well, he hasn't, and you are invited, and you are welcome. The Pharisees kept their emotional and spiritual distance from Jesus. After all, his competence and character are very much in question. This sinful woman draws near emotionally and spiritually and connects with Jesus in a deep and eternal way. I love this image. The woman no longer bowed down, but catching Jesus' gaze, his love, his acceptance. She doesn't stay kneeling, but will need to stand up and live her life in praise and worship to God. This is a story of forgiveness and faith. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Because of God's grace and forgiveness, some very surprising people can become very pleasing to God. This hedge of protection that we put around here, it's good that the band is extended more than that, that it was severed by Jesus' death and resurrection. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. No more barriers. We, like the sinful woman, have access to God. With Jesus, there's no in and out crowd. With Jesus, when we've responded to him in faith, and humility and loving worship and service, we can be assured of our eternal access to him. Thankfully, 
Jesus doesn't put up. Unnecessary, self-righteous barriers to stop us approaching him. This is a story of gratitude. A single-minded gatecrasher. A story of a woman who dared to enter the space of the judgmental religious leaders where she was not invited or welcomed by the host, but was welcomed by Jesus. She brought her whole self to Jesus. Washing, kissing, weeping, anointing, letting her hair down, a, a sign which was quite undignified. What's your most powerful story of lavish generosity or hospitality prompted by your faith in response to all Jesus has done. I'm not sure that mine gets anywhere near what the woman has done in this passage. In this church, we don't want anyone to feel that they can't cross the threshold of our entrance area and enter into the church. We don't want anyone to feel as though they've been ignored or isolated or marginalized. And when we spot that, we just need to know that we're all on team. The woman's offering was costly on many fronts. As Christians, even before we spend anything on ourselves, we're invited to tithe and bring our first fruits to God. How readily do you receive the gifts of God's grace? And how do you show your gratitude? This sinful woman was a single-minded gatecrasher. She drew intimately close to Jesus before any self-righteous bouncers could throw her out. She needed courage and humility, but only Jesus could meet her deepest need. Gatecrashers don't normally bring a generous gift. They blend into the crowd, not wanting to draw attention to themselves. Her lavish gift of expensive perfume formed part of her expression of love. Love expressed in vulnerability, love expressed through repentance and tears of gratitude, love expressed in undignified worship, letting her hair down um, and kissing Jesus' formerly unwashed feet. Her wholehearted self-offering means that she received so much more. Jesus, in spite 
of what the vetting panel might have thought allowed her approach, allowed her touch, became her character witness who celebrated her genuine hospitality, lavish generosity, and genuine love. She left this encounter with Jesus and his transforming love with the extraordinary gifts of forgiveness, of faith, and of peace. We've been in a season where we've been reflecting on the imagery about us being living stones and all being significant and important. And within one of the scripture passages which I'll read to you, we've also been reflecting on our response. I leave you with these words now from 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering your spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here, Jesus is welcome. Receive his grace. Bring your worship. <laughs>